Welcome to Snape Chat, the voice of the Snapedom, the podcast where we discuss all things Snape, always. Join us as we dive into the world of the bravest man we ever knew in art, fanfic, meta, and more. Obviously. This is Snape-centric with episode 29. On this show, I speak with Pet Genius about her excellent metas and fics. Then Snape Snail Tape reads from Pet's wonderful stories. Enjoy the show. This is Snape-centric, and I'm here with Pet Genius. Hi. And uh, we're going to be talking about her and her meta and writing and everything. Thank you so much for having me again. Oh, thank you for being here. Yeah, I really enjoyed the last time I was on. I think it was the discussion of morality. Yes, yes, that was that was a good show. <laughs> All right. Okay, so tell us a bit about yourself. So I am a woman. I'm in my 30s, late 30s already. I've always been a passionate reader, and I am also a fan of animals and rock music. And I think the old rock, uh, rocker aesthetic really played into the Snape thing I had developed. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, I started reading uh, Harry Potter as an adult. I think it was, I think it was 2017. I'm really not sure. Maybe earlier because I had a pretty bad bout of insomnia. So I picked it up and then, you know, I never really cared about the books when they were coming out. I was growing up right on time, supposedly, and then it was just whatever. And after I finished reading them, I just read them again, back to back, like immediately. They're so compelling. Yeah, and then I started, and then I just stayed, stayed around and started to, I wanted to be more active and, I thought I have something to contribute to the fandom at large and that I really wanted to know what other people were experiencing and to learn their headcanons and their interpretations and all of that. So I just started uh, being active in those communities. Never looked back. You write really great metas and, and fix too. Yeah, I think the reason I originally signed up, joined uh, the Harry Potter subreddit was that I wanted to promote a fic I was working on at the time. Oh. Yeah. So, and then I just really made some incredible friends and I got into fighting. And actually, you know, I wasn't, well, the, the fic in question was about Snape, but I, he wasn't my favorite. It wasn't something that I cared about as much. But when I encountered the hate, like, it drove me over the edge because my favorite was Hagrid. <laughs> I still love him. And, uh, and Ron and Luna, uh, still, I love them, but... Just the way that people were were so anti just made me go off the far end in the other way. Uh And I know it's happened to other people too, so so here I am. All right. What do you like best about Snape? The hair. Uh (laughs) (laughs) No, but uh, the complexity and the way that you can just view every for everything he does and everything he says through so many lenses and and just play with which one you're going to believe 
until you find out what what the truth was in the end and it somehow makes it even more mysterious and more compelling so it's just because it's all inference and extrapolation oh that's true you can really have you know you, you can really have multiple views and interpretations and everything would be valid except the most uh you know the ridiculous hater takes that just completely miss the point i feel but many different compelling interpretations that is so true and i feel that yeah that anyone can find a version that fits them and because there are so many issues that the story tackles for example i was not bullied fortunately or not severely bullied so the whole the whole ankle just went over my head i went i fell in love based on an interpretation that barely featured it and then of course when you are more involved in the community and you learn how awful bullying was for some people you really can't ignore it anymore so i feel it also improved me as a person and also uh, again fortunately i've never experienced poverty so you would think those two things are so big in the story but then i found a whole other angle for myself that has nothing to do with it right but then i also was able to learn about those major issues through a lens i could relate to because of the character so i feel that you know i i felt like i could relate to him because the most important relationship in his life was a friend and the sort of parental figure you know lily and dumbledore right so i liked and and then there is you know there is the relationship with voldemort which i found like i found ex- extremely compelling because how many people are forced to stay in a relationship with an abuser their abuser for you know for the good of somebody else right and how do you do that and i i thought that that was what i wanted to explore and i think i did i think i did it well but it, it's um uh, so there's just so many ways that people can complement each other's ideas and this is what i like about him like it's sort of like looking into a mirror and then you can relate to other people that's true in a way yeah like it like to say like at this point i've been in the community for as long as i have it's hard to detach what i love about the character and what i love about my years spent in the community so i'm trying to just talk about the, the character but but still it's inseparable yeah the community is a big part of i think being a, a snape fan for sure and yeah i don't know how i managed all those years without it <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't see even if i never pick the books up again it's been uh it's been my home and my you know my pocket friends for years now yes do you write about any other harry potter characters or other fandoms I don't really write for other fandoms although I might start writing for Brandon Sanderson uh, the Cosmere uh sometime because I binged it and I'm really into it but I don't know I feel like Harry Potter is unique in that you really want to fix it and you can see how every uh, how so many different fates could have played out because it emphasizes choice so much yes and especially Snape that you can just there are so many junctions that you can go but what if somebody had been kind to him in that point in time and what if you know lupin was such and such right it's yes and there's also the way that so many people give their own interpretations that inspire you and i don't think i've encountered i've not encountered anything like that i've not really looked but i don't think there is anything comparable in other fandoms but uh, i also enjoy writing about death eaters goldemort 
and Body Crouch, my favorite Death Eater and Bellatrix. I, I love them. Like, uh, <laughs> you know, not morally, but I think they're very interesting because I'm interested in the authoritarian dynamics and how it plays differently and how each person fell into this trap. Yes. And it's something the books I don't feel really go into, so I can just create whatever I want. I wrote, uh, I like Ollivander, I like Aberforth, but it's, I've never really written about them. So you have a lot of different favorite characters, it sounds like. <laughs> there are a lot, of, uh, a lot of interesting characters, I guess. Like, I, I could imagine a story about many different side characters. Yeah. But Snape is at the heart of it. Like, it's, all, it's almost... Uh, a friend of mine actually said that it's like he's the blueprint for almost everybody else. Oh, that's good. Yeah. And when I think about it, she really was right. Because it's like the, the one who was, uh, you know, changed for the better for love because of love. And then you have, I mean, you can draw the parallels from, between him and anybody. Yes. And the other characters just, um, they appear flat in comparison. Like, I don't know that you can have anything interesting to say about a comparison between Harry and uh, Remus, and both of them are interesting. But uh, yeah, this guy is brave in this way, this guy is brave in another way. I don't know. I don't know that I've seen a lot of very good analysis there. But with Snape, it's easy. Like anyone, Snape and anyone, it's easy. How long have you been a writer? I've been a writer since I wrote in high school, like short stories and poetry a little bit. But then I, I gave up the hobby and my most consistent writing career was here in the, in the Snape Dome. It was, would be, I think, since 2018, I want to say, or maybe, maybe 2019. Kind of a blur. I know everybody says that COVID was a blur, but for me, it was before. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. So since I was struck with this idea for the original fic that I've orphaned it since, which I regret it, but I did. And uh, since then. I think it was, I think it was 2018. Okay. So you have an orphaned work? Is that what you said? Yeah, I have one, but it's in my bookmarks. If anybody's interested, I marked it as mine. Oh, okay. But I really, I really want to rewrite it one day, but it's, uh, I feel, but it, I wrote it before I really delved into things. So I, I don't agree with some of the interpretations that I presented. Like, for example, it leans on the angle that Nate hated Neville because of the prophecy, which I, I now don't think is true. So I orphaned it because I don't want to propagate these ideas. But then I realized I think the story is good, so who cares? Yeah, but there it is. <laughs> How did you come to write Meta? Again, by arguing on Reddit. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, the hate just caught me so off guard. I know that you're not, I know he's great. I know that you're supposed to come out of it feeling like he's redeemed as a Death Eater and he was reformed for love, but still kind of an asshole. I agree with that. But then so much of the hate is based on, uh, on things that completely miss the point. So that I think the text refused outright. So I started trying to argue and then I developed my own ideas and interpretations and people seemed interested. So just positive feedback. And then I joined Tumblr and the people are really receptive over there. But basically, a lot of uh, many of my answers are going to be, um, I was fighting on Reddit one day, and somebody said an idiotic <laughs> thing, and then I had to say, you can't just let people sit there and be wrong. So, you know, somebody's wrong on the internet. <laughs> oh, that's great. <laughs> <laughs> I was also inspired by other meta writers. 
that made me understand that you can write meta and express yourself creatively like that. You don't necessarily have to write an entire story. So I want to give a shout out to Whitehound. Oh, yes. I think she was, uh, yeah, I think she was a writer back when the books were coming out. So her website is really old and it looks really old, but it's amazing. It's just a great resource. And I, I just loved reading it so much. Oh, yes. I felt like, oh, I, you can write that also. It's, it's just you don't have to, to, invade, to invent a story to write something that people would care about. And there's, uh, you know, other meta writers on Tumblr and on Reddit that just touched my heart. And I wanted to do my own thing as well. That's great. Yeah. How do you come up with your ideas? So sometimes for, uh, specifically for arguing, I just wanted to have a concentrated thing that I could copy and paste from. What I, I really spent, I think like at least a year just arguing daily and it took up a lot of time. I just wanted to have something to copy and paste. Not a healthy way to pass my time, but here <laughs> that, that's what happened. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to have direct quotes and, and just have a resource like that. And then also, I think that my interpretation of, uh, of what motivated Snape, I, as I said, I wasn't bullied, I wasn't impoverished, um, but specific life experiences I have had, uh, I felt were unique, or maybe unfortunately not so unique, but that gave me a, a unique perspective that I felt needed to be said. Uh, this is uh, specifically about the meta that I attained on my Tumblr page about clemency. Oh, yeah. I thought always that this is just an angle that people kind of dismiss. I saw it and fixed like people just assume you can do it as if, uh, as though you would, you put up your shields, like you, you just click a button or, or you wave your, like it's a spell. It's very simple. It's black and white. And I thought that's a bit of a, an impoverished way to read the books since eye contact is mentioned so so often, and you find out rather later on about legitimacy and the clemency and about how it was actually the weapon that he used against Voldemort. And I related to his ability to just believe what he needed to believe to survive, but then get back to believing what he truly believed, which is the really amazingly unique part, and how it would be corrupting to him and how he would feel resentful that he had to do that and how do you lie to your mind reader i know he would say that only dunderheads call it mind reading but mind reading i'm a mongol it's mind reading so I, I felt like the issues that first drew me in were not explored in in meta as much so this is why i wanted to add my own spin on it yes and so generally, I just felt like there are things that, like, all of the low-hanging fruits have been picked decades ago by now. Uh, Whitehound did a lot, and other writers. And uh, But I don't think, I don't think that's it. I don't think it's over. There is, I mean, people are still studying the Bible, so there is work to do. And people are coming in with new experiences, and I wanted to do my part. That's great. Yeah, because so, there were so many works that had affected me that I really, I wanted to contribute as well. There is another thing that I like to do, which is to find a concept that is interesting and then try to explain it through that, that lens. Mm -hmm. Like uh, the concept of moral luck in philosophy is, uh, it can get a little bit complicated, but say that, uh, say you drive drunk and one person runs, runs a guy over or dies and, and another person is just okay. So... 
it's an example of moral luck, isn't they are both equally irresponsible, equally whatever, but only one of them faces consequences. And so I felt that you could say, for example, Lupin has a lot of moral luck, but not regular luck. He's very unlucky, but I thought it would be a very handy way to explain that concept because Lupin does many, many bad things, but they don't ever have consequences. So it's very easy to view him as just, if Snape is gray, Lupin is just a good guy. Right. In a very straightforward way, but just because nobody is, nobody is actually hurt. Nobody ever gets hurt by anything he does, but it's not because he's not reckless, he's not a coward. It just never really amounts to anything. So this is like an example of relating something complex through, through the very popular franchise, you know, that people, people already know well. How much detail do you go into in planning this story? <laughs> uh, not enough, uh, because uh, th this is why I've only been able to finish a couple of uh, the longer ones. But uh, I usually have a scene in mind that I want to write, and then I want to get to that scene. So I write my way to there. Okay, yeah. Now, when you get blocked, how do you break it? I don't know. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually not written in a while, but I'm, I'm feeling like I'm, getting, I'm gathering some steam to write again. But I don't know. I just want to... It's, it's, not, it's for free, so I write whatever I enjoy at the moment, and... Right now, I'm more in a reading phase, I guess. But I guess the advice would be to sit down and do it, but I don't know. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, it seems like when you your stories are really exploring a certain angle, a what if or something like that. Yeah, I, I enjoy that because I really just want, I just want, I, I want things to work out for him. Yes. <laughs> he deserves it. Yeah. Yeah. So we've been talking about your meta, and one of them is a complex and many layered thing where you write that Snape's occlumency was magical dissociation learned as a result of his trauma. Yeah. Can you tell us some more about that? Yeah. It's my favorite bit of uh, meta that I wrote, and I think people also responded to it well because I think about. Uh, like in universe, I think it was an afterthought because, you know, JKR needed, needed the connection between Harry and Voldemort. But then if he can read minds, then how do you spy on him? How do you lie to him? So, okay, let's invent something, right? Mm -hmm. But then the line, a complex and, and many-layered thing, it's, it kind of makes you think of onions and... Yes, he holds, Snape also makes me cry, but <laughs> but no, I'm joking. I mean, uh, it's uh, what he says to Harry. He says that the mind is a complex and many-layered thing, at least most minds are, like uh, digging at him a little, which is very nasty. So even though I think it was kind of a throwaway magic that she invented for narrative purposes, I think that in that line, Snape has a theme for that branch of magic. So... And his little speech about it is uh, maybe as elaborate as the potion speech in the first book. Oh, true. So it's like he thought of, and, and he's only teaching it once to this one person, right? So, so I thought that this is actually, I think that's the signature magic that he does. I don't know that he's an amazing legilimens. I don't know that he's, well, we know he's an amazing potioner and all of that, but this is where he even 
he was better than the best. Right. So I think uh, he's a great wizard, we know, but he was not, he was not Voldemort, he was not the Dark Lord. And, and there he was able to win. So I think it really had something to do with something deep and, you know, ingrained in the character that how are you so good at this? Right. How are you beating the greatest legitimates, whatever? So I uh, diagnosed myself with uh, CPTSD, which I don't think is officially recognized in the DSM, but I diagnosed myself. And it's the lens that I wanted to explore because essentially, uh, if you know something, if something is true, but believing in it is dangerous to you, either because you need to lie to a mind reader or just because you can't live with the truth or, or whatever had happened or you, you did or whatever. And uh, unfortunately, many people are in a closet, whether queer or something. So I think it's very common. And here he was in a closet and he had to lie about it to so many people and he had to play the part perfectly or he would die and everyone else would die. Right. And I really wanted to touch on that. And I don't want to just give away the entire meta. I don't want to read it out. You can read it out. It's pinned on my Tumblr. Yeah, we'll have links. Yeah, I think people in cults and, and gangs and so on experience this. And he, from a very young age, had to hide who he was. And he had to hide being a muggle from, I'm, I'm sorry, he had to hide being a wizard from the muggles. He had to hide being uh, an impoverished uh, half-blood from the rich Slytherins. So he sort of his entire life prepared him to put on this very strong mask. And I am sure that at some point in his life, he either truly believed in Voldemort or truly wanted to believe in him. And it's something that he could have used to to tap into as he lied to him. But I'm just really interested in how corrupting that must have been and how just tragic that you can't even be yourself to yourself. And then the courage that it took to go back and to just not, how do I put it? Like if he could, if he could lie to Voldemort, he could have lied to Dumbledore. True. But he didn't. He didn't do it. He just he he had a deeper truth that he could come back to, no matter how much he had corrupted himself or dissociated. Right. And also, once you know about the role of eye contact, and it's just uh, you can just consider that whenever he is looking deeply into Harry's eyes, what he must be seeing, and so on. So it's just a really or. It, uh, or when Dumbledore even, is even uh, speaking with Harry, once you know about this kind of magic, then it's just a really fun way to interpret, extrapolate. Yeah. You have another essay called Lily Severus and Altruism. That's another one I like, yeah. Yeah. Evolutionary psychology, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So I've always been interested in uh, psychology and evolutionary psychology in general. And... Not as much in as, as I used to be, but there were a couple of years I was into it. So basically one of the riddles of, of biology is that altruism exists because if the strong survives, then why would anybody else ever, you know, why would anybody help anybody else? And it exists in animals as well, not just people. So there were two models for why. And so one of them is kin altruism, as in a mother helps the child. Because actually to survive and procreate is the point. So if a mother doesn't help the children, the babies, 
it's defeating the purpose, right? It, you need to to help your children uh, survive and make their own children. Right. So that's kin altruism. Or, or if I help uh, my my sibling, they share my genes. So I'm also helping my genes spread. And so it exists between family members or people that you know from childhood and, you know, you feel as though they are your family. So you would feel naturally altruistic toward. And another model is reciprocal altruism, where I help you and you help me. And we benefit and trust each other. And so it's beneficial to be altruistic in the long run because because of the reciprocity. Right. Okay. So these are the models from evolutionary psychology. And I think we really only see Lily, uh, we see Lily kind of twice or very few times. And I think to, to Snape, I think that her defining moments were when she stepped up in his defense against James and when she stepped up to protect Harry. Yes. I think these are her uh, defining moments. She doesn't really exist as a character, but she did the, these things really turned, uh, sort of changed the world changed his life and then the world and i think when she stepped up to defend snape he was she was being altruistic toward her friend so that would be reciprocal altruism and then he you know he paid her back by saying something awful to her yes and the friendship ended and you know i i don't know that i would have not forgiven him for that but she did and it's within her rights and you can't you can't do that to your friend and then when she stepped up to help her child it's the most natural thing that's that's skin altruism and it's something that i don't know that uh, voldemort experienced um. and snape maybe experienced very little of not a lot but but that changed the world and and i think she displays these you know very natural beneficial types of altruism but they were, but to him, you know, he never experienced them firsthand. He was, I don't think, loved enough by his parents right. or had many friends. But it was an inspiration that he drew upon and put himself in harm's way again and again for people who were not his friends, that they were not related to him. And my interpretation of Lily got a, a bit more complex over time, but I always viewed her as an aspirational character in the sense that when she stepped up to defend her friend she had or when she befriended somebody like that in the first place she did not owe it to him to be friends with him but she stayed you know she stuck around for as many years as she had as she did and look what a difference it made maybe she died thinking that her kindness was wasted but it wasn't because he was better for it and i always thought that yes be like be like her you know don't ever think that it was wasted yeah, because of the amazing things that that you know, the amazing thing that it it inspired in him, and in Harry for that matter. So, this is the the meta like uh, about how you do a good thing, and then the consequences are beyond what you could have imagined. I don't think that she, I don't think she knew she was saving the world. So it's uh, it's like it's a fun way to to look at her and and again to like uh, to discuss um, pretty high concept stuff about altruism and then but oh yes a big words but in the end it's a mother protecting her child a friend stepping up for another friend good stuff yeah yeah so yeah it's uh it's also a favorite of mine uh, i see a lot of, i know a lot of people don't like lily and i don't i understand it i don't think she was a perfect friend but 
I don't think you can make her out to be completely evil. No. Like some people do. No. It's more complicated than that. Mm-hmm. Like even with her like six lines or however many she has, she's more complicated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Your shirt fix often explore what if aspects of Snape and Lily's relationships. What is it about them that interests you? Uh, so I think that, uh, you know, Lily is such a blank page that it's really fun to write her in different ways. Uh, even though I've settled on a personal interpretation that rounds her out a bit, but many interpretations are possible. Possible. So a big part of the appeal is that I want him to be happy. Yes. And and he wanted her, so I want her to live and, and for him to not live in life in regret and shame. But, uh, you know, barring that, his life was the way it was. And also you can think of maybe, you can even imagine that Lily regretted letting the friendship go. Or we don't know what happened in her head after that was over. So maybe she had a better chance of, at happiness than with him. Or maybe she still held on to the memories that, that she was fond of. So I think they both really deserved better. Yes. And it's really so unsatisfying that, that they, their life was, you know, in her case, it was so short and she never fulfilled her potential. And we know that she, she had power. She was great. She could have been greater. And, and she sort of disappeared into this housewife, wife and mother role. Uh, I think she could have just been, you know, I think she could have been amazing. And he was amazing. And there is also a lot of resentment toward her in how she was a bad friend and unpleasant and how she chose to bully. And, and, and yet, you know, she must have been a good enough friend at some point that, that Severus dedicated his life to her, to her memory, to serve her memory. So, right. So I'm really interested in seeing, yeah, what, what happened? How could somebody who was so loved marry the bully, the abuser? And I'm interested in thinking of how she was, a teenage, you know, she was a marginalized teenage girl and she couldn't be a one person support system for, for this kid who was having a very difficult time at it as well. So I feel like in a way they, they are both the victims here. So if I keep thinking sometimes, what if Lily had lived and she found out, or maybe in the afterlife, if she found out, right, what, what would she have, what would she have said to that? I think it's, it's just really interesting. And second so i i also see i see parallels between them between snape and lily in that both of them were taken in by somebody more powerful and they both wanted to improve their station in life i mean she was a muggle-born girl like a middle-class muggle-born girl in the war and he was an impoverished half-blood and she attached herself to james which is understandable given you know that the options were probably limited she must have been scared and she thought he was the hero who saved Snape and and then Snape was taken in by somebody else stronger and impressive and both of them just wanted to better themselves right and it ended up so tragically for both of them I just want them together again yeah (laughs) (laughs) you've written some fix as part of Snape celebration Mm, yeah were you involved in starting this group yeah, it's a it's a page that is uh it's a page run by my fandom wife, Hi Dimension Lollipop, I love you. And also my real life friend, because we've already met. Oh. Uh originally, yeah. Uh originally we met on Reddit while fighting. And 
it just sort of changed my life because it's, uh, it, it, it evolved into a group of people that I kind of chat with every day. And part of it is the SNAP celebration page. We have a little group of really talented artists and writers. Really proud to be in that little circle. And it's just fun to be in a community of people who share a passion. Yes. I, um, this is just our little group. I don't know that the group is so official, but yeah, the, the page is part of our little group. And anybody can, uh, can contribute to Snape Celebration. We even did a charity calendar thing, raised a bunch of money for charity for, uh, for world hunger and for aquatic life. It was really fun. So, so this is just like a little bit of a, it's a little bit of an organized thing that we try to do every couple of months. Mm -hmm. Good. Yeah, but anybody can join. It's not like, I mean, it started from the group of friends that I'm in, but anybody can contribute and everybody's welcome. Super chill. You have a Tumblr page, not a Tumblr blog. Yeah, just Snape Celebration, one word. I think Tini, uh, suffer my displeasure, I think did uh, the thumbnail for the page. It's really cute, but I'm not sure it was her. <laughs> yeah, I can't remember what it looks like at the moment, but I think you may be right. Yes, she's just off the charts talented. Yes. <laughs> In your latest long fit, Soul Savers, Hermione goes back to 1977 to complete the last year of her education. How does the time travel trope appeal to you? So I have to admit it doesn't really. Uh, I don't really read as much time travel and all of that. I wanted to write something where really at heart I, I, I ship Hermione. It's... Um, it's just what I, th I think they're a really good couple, but at the same time, it's a bit maybe, uh, it could be interesting to explore somebody traveling through time, supposedly to help another person and not to fix her own life, but because she was wrecked with guilt because she saw Snape dying and she probably could have helped, but she didn't. Mm -hmm. And I wonder how she felt because Harry, you know, Harry probably also felt guilty, but he had, um, he had very valid reasons at the time to be hateful and not help. And in a way, he sort of helped by agreeing to view the memories and, and clearing Snape's name and all of that. But Hermione just also, she stood there. She made him the little uh, container for the memories, but I feel like it would be traumatic, retros you know, looking back, because I don't think she ever believed he was evil. Even after he had killed Dumbledore, she said evil is a strong word. I don't believe he... You know, don't don't call him that. Mm -hmm. Like she kept going on about how the prince is a shady character. And then when she found out who it was, she said evil is a strong word. Uh -huh. Yeah. And that that's, you know, that's after after she had every reason to believe that he was evil. And she always seemed to really not care about his classroom manner. She seemed to, to appreciate him. And so I think that uh, it could have been interesting to see what somebody like her would do and also considering the awful things that had happened to her she was tortured by bellatrix and we don't really explore how she came out of it because the story ends yeah not long after mm -hmm. but how might I, she and ron were happy-go-lucky you know just good childhood friends and we're gonna be a couple but what if all of the trauma that she went through also made it so that she could never be the same. And she had to go back and she had to try and fix things. And I don't know. I think that that's the premise. 
the premise is that she goes back to try and you know after the relationship with Ron fails not because of anything bad about Ron but just because they were both changed by the war too much and she goes back and tries to prevent it and and try to help Snape not die as violently and to apologize to him while he's still alive and to try to rectify the the things that could have been better so that's the premise I think there is just a lot of juice there if uh, if I ever finish it <laughs> well <laughs> he definitely doesn't seem to want to be changed in this story yeah I don't think he would have yeah I I think it's really I really don't like the stories that whitewash him like there are, there's a tendency to make it so he was coerced into being a death eater he was blackmailed he was lied to I don't think it's true I think that he wanted I think he didn't care about whatever they were doing and like many others maybe like regulars I have a pick about regulars and severus too and maybe a lot of other people like Sirius said that many people were just they thought he had the right ideas or they didn't care but when they saw what he was willing to do what Voldemort was willing to do they got cold feet and they wanted out but they didn't have a way out so right I don't know that he would be very reserved about violence considering his life at that point as an adult for sure he's almost pathologically nonviolent but as a child who had been abused and bullied like that it's unrealistic to me that that he wouldn't want some power right or at least not being powerless yeah or just you know have some money well yeah and hang out with Lucius's friend and all of it I mean it's the guy had nothing going for him it's you know what you want it, it it's for children like him to not be in that position but the death eaters recruited out of his bedroom there is no way that that he didn't want to be one Lily said it so there it is I don't I want it to be like juicy and interesting and I think mm-hmm. it is like mostly art yeah art requires conflict and if there is no conflict then what are we doing <laughs> right <laughs> I mean there is like absolutely no disrespect if you just want to write a fluff piece or an angst piece or a one shot but if if I want to write something you know, with a plot then it needs conflict yeah so that's it <laughs> <laughs> all right so what are your future plans for Snape I want to finish the WIPs that I have I have three major ones one of them is with an OC inspired by my beloved friend sort of um which it sort of follows canon but with somebody on his side that uh, is on to him and just wants to help i think the premise is something like snape is sacrificing himself for everybody and their mother but the oc the oc will do anything for him so he has really somebody in his corner that is seeing him as a person and not as a tool for the war So that's the one I want to finish. I want to finish uh, the Soul Savers fic that people really seem to be responding to. I have it sort of plotted out, but uh, I need to fill in some details. There was also some personal drama in the way that sort of that, that made me want to not write it, but I really want to finish it. And another one, uh, what else do I want to finish? Wait, I said so. Hold on. So I want to finish Snape's Acolyte with uh, OC, and I want to finish Soul Savers. Um, there is a Bellamort fic that I want to finish. And, oh. and to rewrite that one 
that I had orphaned. I want to do it better. Uh, it also kind of, it's kind of canon compliant, but gives him a sort of happy ending. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would like to redo that. So basically to finish what I started, because I think that the ideas and uh, the execution could be really good. Otherwise, I don't know. I think I would just like to create uh, something of my own one day. But at the same time, yeah, at the same time, I really don't know how I could uh, ever stop being into this fandom. And uh, maybe my plans should just be to finally enjoy the amazing work other people do. There are really great stuff out there. There is. Yeah. Okay. Where can we find you online? So my handle is Ted Genius. Sometimes with an underscore, sometimes with just a, a regular hyphen. I'm an uh, archive of our own. And I also publish on Always Snape, which is an independent website. And I'm on Tumblr and Reddit, and we'll do links in the episode text. And I'll send them. And this, uh, those are my spaces. And I'm always up for a chat if anybody wants to talk. I know that people really like, they really responded well to some of my metas, and they said, that it helps them get into the headspace to write when they are writing, which really touched my heart, and I would love to help out. And if anybody's up for a chat, I'm friendly. Yes, you are. Okay. <laughs> well, well, we'll have links for all these and to your stories and metas. So um, Thank you. Yeah, I guess that's about it. So <laughs> anyway, I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us. Sure, absolutely. I love uh, love coming on your show. It's really it's really awesome that somebody is doing the the show to just support everyone. You're really so nice to everyone, and I really appreciate it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, well, I guess we'll just say goodbye then. <laughs> yeah. Until next time. Thank you. Thank you. Bye bye. All right. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Pet Genius. Now here's Snape Snail Tape reading a couple of Pet's stories. Tempest in the Potions Lab by Pet Genius Summary A Slytherin has stolen Lily's wand, and she has a plan for getting it back with her former friends unwitting help. Everything goes wrong, and not in the ways Lily expects. Avery had stolen Lily's wand and had hidden it somewhere in the Slytherin dungeons. He radiated with glee as he told Lily she wasn't a real witch and had no use for a wand where she belonged, and Lily had had enough. She was determined to retrieve it by herself. If she failed, she knew Professor Slughorn would see to it that Avery would be punished, but she wanted more than anything to outsmart Avery, catch him off guard. Whatever Avery said, Lily was a very capable witch, if the batch of polyjuice potion she had brewed was anything to go by. She could have asked James for help. She could have asked many people. But she was of age and soon to graduate, and she did not want Dumbledore to reconsider letting her join the fight against you-know-who when they graduated. She was anxious to prove herself, and so she decided to go it alone with her friend Amelia's wand. She sneaked to the potions laboratory where the vials of yet-unused polyjuice potions sat perched on a shelf, clear as water and waiting to absorb the bit of human that would activate their magic. She made a mental note to ask Professor Slughorn what happens when you drink virgin polyjuice, but just then she had more urgent business to attend to. She uncoiled a scarf from her trunk and laid it out on the table. Thank God I kept this, she mumbled. Long ago, she might have asked Severus to get her wand for her, and long ago, this would have been simple. 
not an admission that she wasn't a real witch, not begrudging acceptance of help from James, whose gallantry could grate on her nerves at times, only recognition that he would have had a much easier time at it. Only a favor from a friend, negligible enough to not count. Long ago. But now all she had was this scarf that she couldn't throw away and couldn't wear. The scarf he'd lent her and she forgot to return, and it became a running gag between them that she returned it to him next winter. Hard to explain the joke. It's not even that funny. It's just how it is with friends. The scarf was made of rough wool, and Severus always wore his hair long, and so she dug out a single black hair that dislodged from his scalp and lodged itself in the coarse and thick fabric. She eyed the vial marked S. Snape and wondered if she ought to take it. He was a shade better at potions than she. But then, if she had been one to pick the easy path, she could have simply asked for help. She took her own vial and dipped the hair into it. The hair dissolved and disappeared, and the potion began to bubble and froth as it mutated. Lily wondered if a more even-tempered person's potion might have not been as volatile, and she wondered if the tempest had come from the potioner or from Severus himself. To her astonishment, the potion turned an unfathomable black, as black as his hair. She might as well have been holding an ink bottle. She studied the potion for sheen and consistency. Lily, you don't really need to know this now. If you hesitate, you'll never go through with it. She took a tentative sip, and to her surprise, the potion was warm and rich with notes of dark chocolate. She smelled it, and her mind immediately went to her home, where her mother had once made them hot chocolate. As her hands transformed, she gripped her vial tightly and quickly removed her shoes as her feet grew, lest they burst. Her hair shortened just a bit, and she grew more than a bit taller. Her chest flattened, and her... His... Blimey... It took a delicate hand to transfigure her shoes and her robes, especially with Amelia's wand, and the results seemed to mock her, but in Lily's defense, she hadn't kept up with the evolution in Severus's fashion sense, and watching his hand holding Amelia's wand was jarring enough. She remembered Severus in a blouse, a child, and suppressed an emotion she couldn't name. The password she had. Professor Slughorn had told her in secret so that she could visit him in his chamber with some of the sluggies and look at the rare artifacts he had brought from South America and did not dare remove from his room. And in any case, the Slytherin passwords always reflected the Slytherin values. Whatever they pretended to believe, their common room allowed entry only to people who could recite names like Yaxley or Malfoy or Shacklebolt, or say Pureblood or Wizarding Pride with a straight face. She left the potions lab and started to make for the dungeons, acutely aware of the sound of her, his, footsteps, and not being nearly as stealthy as she would have liked in a body not her own. And how do blokes get anything done, she asked herself, the vexing appendage between her legs constricted in her pants. She did not want to think of Severus's thing. She never wanted to think of it. He was her childhood friend. He wasn't even that anymore. She was with James. Severus's thing made its presence known, a cruel and distracting irony that bothered her more the more she tried not to think about it. The truth of the matter was inescapable. It grew hard as she tried not to think about it, a warm tugging sensation at her insides that caused her distress more acute than anything she'd ever felt about James. She might have been able to fool herself if she had a female body, but the truth might well have poked her in the eye. Touch it, touch it, touch it, touch it, touch it, touch it. It would be more practical to touch it. She couldn't accomplish what she had set out to do, feeling like this. Her hand fumbled through the cloth, strange and clumsy, and her reluctance to glance down slowed her down even more. It was already wrong, surely toward both James and herself, and even toward Severus, but the knowledge of how wrong it was only made it more necessary to get on with it. She did not look, but in her hand it felt right, and she knew that her real hand around it would grip it such that her fingernail had only barely brushed the inside of her thumb, a visual that made the operation swift and effective. 
Praying that she had managed to contain the moan that escaped her lips, she scrambled to her feet and continued, and the brisk night air restored her focus. There would be enough time to obliviate herself as soon as she had her wand. If only this goes wrong, it was not so bad, considering. She appreciated the length of her stride, sure that it would shave precious minutes of the time it took to get across the grounds, and for all she could see, she was safe and alone. Simple. Get to the dungeons, sneak into the boys' dormitory, and Akio my wand back. They'd be none the wiser. Lily always liked singing to herself, and she sang to herself now with his voice, lower than hers, naturally, but also lower than his. I am Severus Snape, and if my precious Slytherin friends knew who my father was, they would chuck me out sooner than I can say mudblood, she said in his voice, taking pleasure in the petty revenge. You're wearing women's robes, princess, a familiar voice said, and Lily froze. Serious. James, Remus, and Peter appeared behind him, and though they looked shorter through her black eyes, their indifferent amusement frightened her. No, wait, you don't understand, she tried to plead. But do you need to plead, she asked herself. James had promised her all this nonsense was behind him, and yet he stepped forward and assumed his position as ringleader, and before Lily knew it, she fell backwards into the dirt, eyes wide in fear. What are you doing here? Isn't it past your bedtime? Looking for trouble after curfew again? The last time was not enough for you, James asked her, and Lily's throat was dry. Who gave you this dress? Is it Lucius Malfoy? I'll be sure to collect 20 galleons from Reggie. He always insisted there's no way Lucius would touch someone as ugly and poorly bred as you, but I told him it's all the same in the dark. It's Lily, she cried. Please, James, I'm not him. I think he's cracked, Remus said coolly. We need to be careful. He might blab about me if he doesn't have his wits about him. James turned to face Remus while Sirius's eyes remained fixed upon Lily's face. Do you ever think of anything else? Didn't Dumbledore take care of it? Do you think he's so sloppy that he'll let slip about the big bad werewolf now? You're a fucking what? Lily shouted and hoped this bad dream would end. See, he's obliviated him. Your secret's safe with us, Mooney, Sirius said, still smiling with his wand pointed between Severus's eyes as he spoke. And I'll do it for you now, don't worry. Been meaning to practice those, and there's nothing of value in Stiff's brain worth preserving. The three of them laughed. What's wrong with you, Snape? You won't even try anymore? What are you doing on the way from the Gryffindor Tower anyway, huh? Her boyfriend interrogated, and Lily answered, her voice quivering, that she's Lily and that Avery had stolen her wand. Peter started searching his robe for something, but James only laughed. Lily hates you. She would have asked me to get it for her, and I would have. And she would have been grateful. Very grateful. His tone conveyed the message unmistakably, and Lily could not believe this was her boyfriend. They had not even gone that far. A circle closed around her, James, Sirius, and Remus, and she knew at once that she was done for, that salvation would come only when the hour would be up, when she would shrink to her natural form. She ran down the list of potential issues of their plan that she could foresee before she embarked on this misadventure. The potion wouldn't work, she would run into Severus wearing his form, she wouldn't be able to find her wand. It never crossed her mind that she would experience her first orgasm in that particular fashion, or that she would have to worry about James and his friends. Levy Corpus, I think. Gentlemen, what do you say? Let him hang there until morning? That should teach him to stay in his proper place after curfew. Wait, Peter's voice tore through. Look at this prongs. He held a bit of parchment up to James's face, and the arrogant smirk left James's face at once. He ran wordlessly in the direction of the tower, and with confusion, the others followed him, leaving Lily alone in the dark. If Peter hadn't showed him whatever he had, they would have tormented her until the potion wore off, or would have simply left her suspended in midair, and Lily could do nothing but blink stupidly. She forgot all about her wand as she sat on the dirt, movements and words flashed before her eyes. 
Remus was a werewolf. James never changed. James alluded to their sex life to make a point when he told her he loved her, and they were just the same as they were two years ago. As she regained her true form, to her intense relief, another truth hit her. She had no feelings left for James, and she craved the knowledge of what it might be like to touch him with her real hands and to have the real Severus touch her. The potion she had brewed in Severus's hair combined to create a storm in a vial, and her intuition told her another combination never would have. The color of his potion was beautiful through his eyes, and it tasted like fond memories. Above all, even in the cold night, alone on the grounds, the memory of the bliss that engulfed her for a few seconds of what should have been mechanic rubbing kept her uncomfortably warm. Everything led her to one conclusion. She was in love with Severus. She also owed him a great big apology. She walked in the dark toward her room and had not the first idea what the rest of the year would be like now. The Coward by Pet Genius Summary Minerva has to face her fears as Snape's portrait is finally ready to be hung on the wall at her new office. Headmistress McGonagall had a knot in her stomach, a dull, formless fear that had been haunting her for weeks and months. It had been easy when nearly everyone who weren't at St. Mungo's or Azkaban had been helping rebuild Hogwarts, but now that the castle had been restored to a state fit to run a school again, the fear made itself felt most powerfully. Or, rather, the shame, the knowledge she would have to confront it sooner or later. Headmistress and a Gryffindor, and she felt scared and contrite, barely able to keep her head up and her voice stern as she called Mr. Filt to her office. The day has come. The portrait was ready. Roll him in, please, Argus. Headmistress, where do you want it? It would have been plain cruel to make him struggle with hanging the picture on his own, but that's not why she sent Filch out immediately. She could barely sit upright, and her eyes felt like a dam holding back a rising flood. She remembered a sound so vividly, it was as though it was all happening again. Broken glass, the reviled headmaster Snape taking flight, and her shooting curses at him. Best get it over with, she told herself. She couldn't keep the portrait covered forever. Minerva had always wanted to be headmistress, but she had never planned to inherit the sacred post from a man she had almost killed. She put on her most stoic facade. As light shone upon the portrait, Severus opened his acrylic eyes. The painter had captured them perfectly, their color, their shape, the way they bored a hole into your soul, even if you had done nothing wrong. A coward, am I? Her face might not have betrayed her guilt, but her foot twisted under her. I'm sorry, Severus, she said, choked up. A coward, with the three of you hurling curses at me, in front of all the students, might I add. The wizarding world is fortunate that you are so inept you could not even kill one person who wasn't fighting to kill. You must have thought yourself so honorable, Minerva, when you declared your intentions for all to hear. Is that the Gryffindor idea of a fair fight, I wonder? To foolishly announce what you will do as though that somehow levels the playing field? Is that how you intend to run this school? It was worse than she had feared. Must you, Severus, she pleaded. We are all so sorry. I often asked myself all last year if one of you had figured it out. How could all of you to the last have been so thick to not ask yourselves just once why I had kept all of Dumbledore's brown-nosing subordinates on? You most of all, Minerva. We all just assumed that I wanted to gloat, isn't it? That I kept you on because I enjoyed abusing my power over you, who had picked the losing team, who would hitch your wagon to the wrong horse, who would be a mere transfiguration mistress until she died. 
Yes, you say we all just assumed, but knowing you, you alone assumed, and further assumed that everyone feels as you do. You're forgetting I'm a legilimens, Minerva, and you never wondered how the great gloater allowed you to get away with open insubordination, referring to me as Severus when you would address even a student by their surname? You never asked yourself why the sentient castle allowed me entrance to this office when our venerated predecessor, Dolores Umbridge, had been exiled to another room. It's just a portrait. It's not the real him. It's only saying what I'm most scared to hear. Flitwick wisely kept his head down until the right time came to make his stance known, even if he made it in his shrill and overexcited manner, overcompensating, I suspect, for how I knocked him out cold before I went and did the deed for which you called me a coward. But with you as backup, he was not so scared. And Sprout, ah, possibly the only one here, not a disgrace to the name of teacher. She was simply happy of the chance to not abandon her students when they needed her the most. Horace was secretly pleased one of his was finally headmastered, you know. The only one who demonstrated some independent thought was Rubius, when I sent the Harry Potter fan club to him as punishment, if not sooner, you see. With you law for teachers, it's small wonder that the students amount to so little. But how can the portrait know all this? Minerva felt tears streaming down her face. She had missed Severus even before he died. The Severus she thought she knew before he committed such horrendous treason. She had wondered if this was why she couldn't land the curse. Part of her must have known. She hoped so, anyway. Even if true, it matters not, does it? You tried to kill him and called him a coward, and then he died a greater hero than you could ever hope to be. She never allowed herself to grieve the beloved colleague she lost or the hero she never knew. A quill transfigured into a handkerchief in her hand, and her ears clogged with the pressure of a tremendous sob building up. The portrait coughed. Don't worry, Minerva, my grievances about your performance as a teacher when I was a student can wait a little while longer. If you would do me a courtesy and turn me around to face Dumbledore's portrait, please, and leave us the room. Congratulations on your promotion, of course. I would raise a toast, but I am indisposed. Good stuff. Thanks again to Pet Genius for speaking with me and Snape Snail Tape for her reading. Go to our website at snapechatpodcast.com for links to Pet Genius's metas and stories. And here we must say goodbye. We wish we didn't have to, but it hasn't escaped our notice that life isn't fair. Like us on Facebook, follow us on Tumblr and Twitter, email us, or leave a voicemail. We'd love to hear from you. Support us on Coffee to help defray costs of production. Many thanks to Nix for our continued work on our website at snapechatpodcast.com. Be sure to check out Care of Magical Shippers podcast. Go to alwayssnape.com for wonderful snapey content. Thanks for listening. Until next time, stay snarky.